Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions, with your host, Reverend Paul John Roach. So, hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. I'm your host, Paul John Roach coming to you from a glorious spring day in Fort Worth, Texas. Today, I welcome Tim Frick to the show. He is an internationally respected authority on world spirituality and also the best-selling author of more than 20 books. He is uh, pioneering a new philosophy of awakening that has influenced thousands of lives, a philosopher and a radical and often iconoclastic teacher. His greatest strength is his ability to encourage direct perception and awakening to the truth of our oneness. And so it's a joy to welcome Tim Frick to today's show. Welcome, glad you're with us. I'm delighted to be with you, Paul. Okay, I've got a few starter questions, and we can go wherever we want, but uh, maybe we can look right. at some of these, uh, see if they, uh, okay. they lead anywhere. Um, you know, in, a, in, our, in our modern world, there seems to be two great struggles, and I'm sure there's many, many more, but I'm going to refer to two today, um, and you've often referenced them in your writings. Um, the first one is the dichotomy between uh, literalism and a more metaphysical or spiritual outlook, uh, which you call Gnostic uh, understanding. Uh, so that's the first mm-hmm. the, the dichotomy. And, and then the second one is um, receiving conceptual knowledge versus direct knowing. And, and that's less odious, perhaps, than the first uh, dichotomy, but it's still a, a difficult one because even if we feel we've made it through to some kind of unitive thinking, uh, we could still get lost in our heads, so to speak. So um, let's talk about the first, you know, the, the the difference between the baby and the bath, I think you called it in one of your books. <laughs> I did, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, I, so, so so with the Gnostic and literalist thing, really that came from a period of where I was really trying to differentiate the essence of spirituality um, from the kind of uh, religion, especially fundamentalist religion, um, which has been playing such a, a major role, kind of unexpectedly, really, I, over the last 20 years, when it felt like it had gone away in so many respects, and then suddenly it's been very prevalent. And, and the key idea there was this literalism, that, that the, the particular scriptures were taken as literally true, the word of God, absolutism, I suppose is another word for it. So you have an absolute authority and opposing that to to what is a uh, what i call gnostic because it's to do with gnosis or knowing directly and uh, or or a spirituality which is much more inquiring and open and looking for meaning and connection hi paul are you still there that. yeah that was just somebody calling in sorry live air sorry keep going um so um so I think there's a uh, th- th- that dichotomy that you're talking about is between really between something which is rigid and absolute and, and and is enforcing dogma and something which is exploring this mystery of existence that we're in and looking for uh, deep answers and what marks out that uh, gnostic or mystical or spiritual approach 
is that it makes connections. So you see throughout the whole of history, actually, that it is essentially eclectic. It's, it's reaching out between religious traditions, between nations, between peoples, to find the commonality. Because its fundamental message is that underneath all the separateness, everything is one. There's one of us. And it keeps pointing to that. And that oneness expresses itself as love, or this universal benevolence. So that's what you've got that's where you've got the religion of love that that and and that's in stark contrast to these kind of religious religions which will be, become about dogma and at their very worst about enforcing dogma through violence it seems that one is based in a sort of a tribal worldview right and the other is based in in something radically new which you know jesus uh put forward and we're, we're still trying to get our heads around his real teachings right but it's really difficult to move beyond tribal thinking. And we've seen this retrenching in recent years, you know, with the popularism of, uh, of the West. Uh, and we see it in the Middle East, too, in, in Islam, you know, this desire to go back to some kind of tribalism where we're, we see ourselves as separate. So how do we get beyond that? Because it seems to be uh, a, big, a big problem right now in our modern world. Well, the, the first thing I think is to take the long view and stand back, because if you stand back over history, although you know there are, we may you know things go back and forward in history. Overall, the arc of history is towards much more connection. Um, you know, the amount of conflict in the world is going down and down and down. The the way in which people have brought compassion into the world is, un, there's never been a time like it. I mean, we've moved so far towards that. In fact, I think you could see the whole of history as a kind of opening out. So we've gone from very small tribes in conflict with each other for literally where your neighbors are your enemies, because those are the people that you're going to steal from, you're going to take their land, you're going to take their livestock, you're going to take you know, make them enslave them. And that's expanded out into larger groups that are doing it with each other, like nation states and religions. And then this period since really, the, you know, the, this last period where, where there's been far more connection. Now, the old hasn't gone away. That's that's the problem. And and it, it does rear up from time to time. But the movement is towards this, this unity. And the way I think we, we uh, get there is each one of us to keep making that step, making the step in towards having a unitary consciousness and practicing this, this deep universal benevolence that arises when you sense that oneness and that's the the underlying heart message i think from all the spiritual traditions all the ones that i called in that uh, gnostic or because and, and the reason i chose that name is simply because gnostic means to do with gnosis and gnosis is the old greek word for that direct experience of oneness and love which can lead to this transformation of course, in unity, we, we'd call it simply unity consciousness, but I think it's the same uh, direct experience yes. of the one that you know, you're talking exactly. about, right? I think you know, Gnosticism for some people you know, comes with a little baggage because there are so many kinds of Gnosticism, especially in the early years of Christianity, right? And so, some are sort of negating uh, the, the value of the body or the, the universe itself, you know, everything is an illusion, it's evil or whatever. Um, you know, another monastic teachers are more unitive. Um, so, so it's a difficult one, but, I, you know, you're using it in a specific way, right, to talk about this gnosis. This yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I have no attachment to the word whatsoever, and I, and, 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 and to be honest with you, you know, the, the time when I was really using that word was 20 years ago, when all of this was really just taking off. I don't use it particularly today. Um, right. In fact, what I've been doing is trying to, trying to create a new language, which we can express this without the baggage. So the way that I describe it today in my current work would be to say that we're in the process of evolving from individuals into what I call univigils, where a univigil is an individual conscious of unity. And that gives us a fresh language to talk to the, about 
this with, which isn't stuck in any one tradition, doesn't come with any baggage, and enables us to go, look, we need our individuality. That's, that's been the big advance over the last 100, 200 years. We've become individuals so that we escape the tribalism actually by individuating, by becoming ourselves, so that I don't see you as a, according to your race or your sex or anything. I see you as you. And and each one of us is able to think for ourselves. So we're not just stuck in the tradition we happen to be born in. We can question it. We can find our own route through. And then from that individuality, we can wake up to this oneness. And we can understand that as individuals, we are an expression of the oneness of the whole universe. And that we, we live in service to that. So that's this transition from individuals to individuals. I like that idea because it's this, the idea that we, we need a healthy sense of self, right? Before we can transcend self, before we can release it, if you like. You know, if, if you're, wow. you're struggling as a miserable worm, it, it's not very helpful, is it? I was musing that it takes a healthy sense of self in order to enter into that unity of consciousness, right? If, you're, uh, yes. if you feel bad about yes. yourself or you feel like a miserable worm, that's not really helpful. So it's not about uh, annihilating the ego. It's, a, it's about understanding its, its, um, its relative helpfulness, right? I, I think so. One of the mistakes that I think is made in some forms of spirituality is to negate the individual self. And, and the basic idea there is that if you want to experience the oneness, you have to stop seeing yourself as separate. Whereas in my experience and, and, and the philosophy that I'm trying to articulate says, look, the, the individual, the ego, whatever name you give to it, is not in the way it's the foundation that we wake up to something deeper through it hasn't been a mistake becoming you it hasn't been you no know, it's been 14 billion years to get us from the big bang to you and i having this conversation that's not an error the evolution of the individual is actually the the the, the leading edge of this evolutionary process but now we as we become individuals really for the first time in history then we can reach deeper and realize that we are individuals' expressions of something. So the ego then becomes about maturity, becomes the self is what is evolving. And if the self can evolve in such a way that it can sustain these deeper levels of awareness, these, these, these greater states of the psyche, that's where we can um, enter into this uh, deeper oneness and, and bring that into the world. So that, that actually the development of the self becomes our job, not the, the, not the negation of it. Right, very important. Um... I, I love uh, a teacher named uh, Sri Nizagadatta Maharaj who lived in India in the, back in the 60s, 80s. I, I, I know his work very well, yes. Right, and uh, he talks about this very thing, right, this contemplation of the I am. And, and contemplating his I, the I am within himself led him directly to the, the, the great I am, if you like, the, the cosmic I am, and uh, the I am that, uh, you know, the... Uh, the, the unknowable and yet the very real. And, um, and, and so he speaks to that very point, right? And he, call, he called his way the natural way because we're all equipped to, to understand that actually because we're carrying it around with us all the time or we, we often don't realize it, yeah? Well, Nizagadatta had a huge influence on me um, in, in my late 20s and 30s, um, right. which is a long time ago now. Um, but, and, and I would say that what he's talking about is that very much of going, well, what is the oneness? Well, for me, it's like, what, what does everything have in common? You know, I look around me now as I'm, I'm here talking to you. What is everything I can see? Everything, what does it all have in common? Well, it all has this quality of being. I mean, it's kind of obvious, but it, it, this qual it, it exists. It has a quality of being. It isness, as the Zen people would call it. And so I think what happens is that when you home into your quality of being, you recognize that your being is one with the being of everything. And I think that's what Nizagadatta was, was pointing to, as does that whole tradition. I do have to say, though, I also think that what, that what Nizagadatta was saying and that whole Neo-Advaita tradition, which he's been a big part of, does, does, does encourage often this negation of the self. 
and and so I've kind of moved away from from seeing that that Indian tradition as much as I did say 30 years ago because I don't think it, it is affirming of the individual. I think it's about negating the individual, and so the I am for him is quite abstract. It's not you and me as Paul and Tim talking. It's something which is an abstract I. And I, and, and I think it's actually, the, I think what interests me now is the actual importance of the story of the individual person in, and that we're rooted in in our actual lives, the, the significance of them, not the simply the transcendence of them. Right. I think that's a good, that's a good point because the, that's been a, something that, that uh, you know, various commentators have talked about in terms of the Advaita or whatever, Neo-Advaita. You know this this very negation you're talking about. It was I had a, a lady named uh, Mo Damar on my show recently, and um, she was talking about the very same thing. You know, because she came out of that tradition to a degree, but uh, but understands the same thing that being embodied is fine. You know, in fact, it's beautiful, right? You're still just because you're enlightened, quote whatever that is, doesn't doesn't mean that you've transcended. You know, you're still moving in and through this uh, this structure here, which is our body minds and and that's part of its usefulness, right? We're, we're here to, as you said, uh, bring more benevolence into the world. And we can't do that if we're disembodied spirit. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, I've, you know, in the last 20 years, I've witnessed uh, uh, the, well, first of all, I witnessed the, the Advaitic or the non-dual scene explode. And I was certainly around that and was a kind of non-dual heretic because I was constantly pointing not just to the oneness, but also to the importance <laughs> of the individual. And, um, and slowly other, I've seen other non-dual teachers, I think have come to similar conclusions. I, and, and more and more of them have, in fact, because it was very, very denial of the self. And it's nowhere near as much now. I think there's much more integration. and I really welcome that. I still want to push it though. I, I want personally. I want to go look. It's it's not even it's just functional or it's useful. Or, it's actually more than that. So to me, the universe hasn't. You know, we haven't fallen from the oneness into the illusion, which is the underlying philosophy you will find in a lot of Indian philosophy and indeed a lot of mystical philosophy. I want to turn that on its head. I think with our modern understanding of evolution. We can now see have a different spirituality, which is much more positive. So not that we need to escape from something, but actually that the whole universe is growing up. It's evolving. It's emerging as more and more and more. And the leading edge of that process has been the evolution of the of the psyche, the the, the soul. This 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 uh, ability to think. And this brings. We can go to your next question. Actually, the other conflict you mentioned from that. But we have. We've arrived at this point where we can have conversations like this well if we are the universe and we are what else could we be we've come from it we are the universe looking at itself going who am i what am i do i have meaning am i good where am i going that's what we are so that so that it's not just a usefulness it's like it's the miracle of our human lives that interests me and that from that we can enter these particularly emergent states, which at the moment, are, are more and more people are experiencing them. It's still quite rare, but it's but more and more people are touching it, where you go, oh, I'm not just this little individual. I'm the whole thing arising as this individual. And that the nature of reality is the one in relationship with itself. And that's the big shift from the non-dual, because the non-dual is going, the, the real nature of reality is it is non-dual it's all one duality is a type of illusion and i think and the new understanding needs to be no it's not duality is the nature of what this is because this is the one in relationship to itself now there's pre for that of course in the taoist tradition you know the yin and yang tao is yin and yang but it's a way of going this human thing we're in it is, is, is deeply significant and much more than just useful. It, it, it is profound and important. Yes, beautiful. I love that. I love that phrase in relationship with itself. And, you know, Hinduism, for example, is highly eclectic and all-encompassing. And there, there are many different philosophies and the philosophical yes. systems within Hinduism. And, and, you know, many of them are understanding of this embrace, you know, the idea of Shiva Shakti, right? The... Uh, Yep. The, the spirit and the, and the material in, in a dance together. Um, 
you know, which speaks to what we're talking about here. And you can't have the one without the other. They nest together. And, and the form of Shakti is Maya, or, you know, the illusion. But it, it's an illusion that, that's uh, a wonderful thing, a, a beautiful thing also. Um, and I'm reminded of Ganesh, you know, the, the elephant-headed god is not just the remover of obstacles. He, he's also the creator of the obstacle. So, you know, the, the way in and the way out, of the, the way in and the way out are the same, right? So, so you know, <laughs> everything is uh, a, a blessing from from the divine or from the one, whatever. So everything's worthwhile. It's it's grist for the mill. Yeah, I mean, I personally, I mean, you know, I feel like the time has come to just drop the illusion language altogether and actually right. go. The, the miracle is, look, this is real. That's the miracle. You know, the amazing thing is we are having this experience. We are in a world. I'm looking at these green trees. I'm looking at the bright blue sky above me right now at the window. I can breathe. I'm, I can feel and I can think. And, these, and, 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 and we've, we've lived for too long in spirituality with a kind of a down on our humanity so that especially in the east but you so you get this idea that thinking is a bad thing um uh, feeling emotions passions bad thing sex bad thing uh being an individual it's all bad thing attachments humans attachments like you know to your family or, or your aspirations to achieve things bad thing desires generally bad thing hang on everything that makes you human bad thing let's <laughs> yeah. turn around Let's turn that around and let's go know that, that our humanity has arisen from the evolution of all of, of life. Life has arisen from the, the evolution of the whole universe over these 14 billion years that we now understand. And here we are. We are the universe waking up to itself. How amazing is that? And let's embrace our humanity and find ways to use it in the, in, in the servants, uh, service of a universal benevolence. I love it. You know, I think we have the same kind of absolutism in unity as well at times. You know, uh, people who are into the course in a course in miracles, for instance. You know, where you know we're talking about the disappearance of the universe, nothing's real except spirit or whatever. Um, and and you know, it ends up being a kind of dualism. You know, we've got to get rid of our bodies, get rid of all our illusions, all our thinking, so that we can come back to the the essence, whatever that is. And um, it's, it doesn't ring true to me because I think it is an embodiment, right? It, it is something that's, um, and, and I like the word beautiful. It, it's beautiful to to dance in the fields of God, right? To play to play in the uh, in God's beautiful universe. Yeah, I, I think so. And and you know, in, and one of my one of the ideas I'm exploring uh, really recently, which over the last two, three, four years is actually to change how has changed how I see God as well. So that, I mean, I've experienced what you could call God, it's a difficult word, but a, but a, a benign presence of all-encompassing love uh, that is more than me, a transcendent thing with which I merge and which is the most beautiful thing when that happens. I experienced that. I have done since I was a child, and, and, and a lot of my life has been about developing that relationship and, and, and sharing it with others. But what's, what, where, where, where my understanding has shifted in how I understand the experience has been that I no longer think that the universe has arisen from God or not from that God. I, it feels to me the opposite. It feels like if you put God at the beginning, like so many religions have done in the past, it's really difficult because, as everybody knows, the universe is not a very nice place a lot of the time. There's huge amounts of suffering. Uh, it's kind of crazy. You know, it's like, how, you know, why does a, a sane God allow whatever, you know, 250 million years of dinosaurs, say, or five major, major extinctions before we get to to conscious, real, you know, to, to, to the sort of life that can examine the universe or soul. So all of that kind of, that, that kind of God is a bit crazy. Like the Gnostics realized that God is, is the, the God which created this world is a kind of insane God. But if you turn Slightly it around toxic, and go back, yeah. that God, God, God isn't at the beginning. God is where this is going then suddenly you get this rather beautiful idea, I think, which is the whole universe is flowering, as it were, into God. God. You know, it starts with the simplest things you can imagine. Quantum particles, basic matter, 
it's, it's 10 billion years before it arrives at life and then conscious life and then conscious psyche and then from that is emerging something which transcends us so that so that god that god of, of love that god that universal benevolence is what the universe is flowering into a bit like if you think about your own existence as a human being you 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 is a you arose first of all as a fertilized egg and it took a long time before that egg was independent and was able to be a, a, a person and then a, more time before it was able to be fully conscious and develop thinking and the psyche and that the whole universe has been like that and it's heading towards god and then our human lives are in service to that greater emergence which is which is happening saint athanasius wrote uh, that god was made man so that man might be made god and uh, it's a similar idea i think in the sense that uh, God is on a journey to discover himself through creation, through this joy, uh, and, and, with, and bringing us along with it, right? So, um, so, so it's a, Yes, it, if, it, if you it's see a, the God at the beginning, really, you know, they have, in Hinduism, as you probably are, are aware, they, have, they talk about uh, Brahman, God, as uh, Nirguna and Sanguna, without qualities, and with qualities. And I yes. think that's interesting because if you, I'm not sure you, God's the right word to use for what's there at the beginning, because I think what's there is at the beginning is the most minimal thing you can imagine, which is the potential to become everything. That, that, Absolutely. That, that's, we're at that's the break. We've got to stop, unfortunately. And I know we're on a roll here, but let's hold that <laughs> thought, Tim. We'll be back after these messages from Unity. Join us in a couple of minutes. I'm with Tim Brick. Practical spirituality. Positive messages. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. All right, welcome back to today's show. It's a very passionate show. We have Tim Frick on the show, and he's uh, cooking with gas, as I like to say. Um, and right up my street, and talking about embodiment of uh, both the physical and the spiritual together in this wonderful concatenation called us. Um, <laughs> there's a quote I love from Catherine Ingram, who comes out of the uh, non-dual tradition, but she's a little bit of a uh, iconoclastic voice too and she says um, embodiment is not a contradiction with divinity it is divinity's explicit expression I love that phrase and it's exactly what we're talking about right yeah yeah although, although I still I want to return to this idea which we were we were just getting into because I you know it, when you get the idea of that it's divinity's expression uh, which I like, you know, I'm not trying to pick pick uh, problems right. here, but is that you get this idea, <laughs> it, it, that feeds into the traditional view that there's God, God exists, we don't know what that means or how that, or what God is, but it's somehow God exists already, and then God decides to explore itself, and therefore dreams the dream of life, and that's the old mythic understanding. Well, we're now 2,500 years later than all of that, and we have this incredible scientific knowledge about the universe and particularly about the evolving universe. So it feels to me like we need to sharpen that story up. So my uh, contribution to that is to go, look, how about we just see this one process of the realization of potentiality, which is taking us from the simplest of things to the most emergent of things where everything that comes next builds on what went before and that's happening right now as we speak every moment is that and if that's the case then what it's starting with is literally the field of being it's starting with the oneness of being which is being informed with information in all of these different ways that's going to take it from quantum possibilities through to the manifestation of the physical universe through to them to the emergence of life through to the emergence of psyche and that this this unity this transcendent divinity is actually the last thing to arrive not the first 
because it's the so most, we're, we're, it's the greatest expression of the potential. Well, we're, we're talking about what some people call the hard problem of consciousness, right? Whether a consciousness is self-existent or arises in, in an evolutionary process. So I think what I'm hearing you say is that consciousness is, is pre-existent in, in that oneness, but, but yet it's also unfolding. It's part of the evolutionary process. So it's, again, both and. Am I correct? No. Um, that's that's what you would have heard. <laughs> you, that's what you would have heard me say if you were speaking to me um, a few years ago, um, okay. because I would take the much more traditional line, which is, well, it all starts with consciousness. That's the spiritual philosophy. Uh, I've completely changed my mind about that. I think it, oh, I think the arguments that I that I advanced were mistaken. And I've been I've had the good fortune to talk with a few people such as Bernard Kastrup and 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 uh, Rupert Spira. And it, try and explain to them why I think, because they're obviously still going with that line, why I now think it's wrong. I think consciousness is an emergent quality of the universe. And I think the ground is not conscious. That's the point. It becomes conscious. And it becomes uh -huh. conscious through the, um, the, 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 the systems, if you like, the information systems, biological systems that it, that it arises as until it's able to be conscious and have this conversation but it didn't start with that it's actually moving towards that in fact it looks to me like it doesn't consciousness doesn't arrive way way into the process of, of the evolution of the universe so does this diminish in any way the nature of this ground this um the unknowable essence, whatever you want to call it, no, don't have to use the word God, but whatever it is. <laughs> so, um, so I know. guess the radical thing I'm suggesting, Paul, is that the the ground, the simplest thing, is literally the simplest thing. And the word I choose is the old Greek term being, isness, if you want to make it a little bit more zen. It's what is it? Well, it's nothing, but it exists. But it's the potential to become everything it's not everything it's nothing but it's the potential to become everything and what's happening is that, that what existence is is the realization of that potential that's what existence is and it's doing it it's been doing it for 14 billion years in our in our universe who knows what else it's doing in other universes or what that could possibly mean but it but in ours we can trace it back and see it so that it's building on itself building and it's creative, and it's learning. And so the whole universe is coming into being. It doesn't start with the most emergent thing. And the reason I've made that transition, well, there's lots of them, but one of the key things is if, if the ground is already God, then you've, you've really done, it's, it's kind of poor philosophy because you've, you've explained one mystery, the existence of the universe, with an even bigger mystery. Oh, well, God did it. God already existed. Well, what does that mean? And I think what science has done is it's gone, that's not good enough. And I agree with science on this one. But where science makes the mistake, I think, is that it traces that process of evolution only really as far as biology. And then the psyche is a side effect of biology, and that's, that's all there is to it. And you have this materialist view, and it's reductionist. It wants to reduce everything to the lowest common denominator. So really, you're just chemicals. And really, chemicals are just atoms, and so on and so on. What I'm suggesting is the opposite, that actually it flowers into the psyche. Psyche is the Greek word for soul. It flowers into the soul, and we're experiencing that now. And that the domain of spirituality is not some epiphenomena, some byproduct of biology. It's a very real dimension, as is God, is a very real transcendent level of existence, which has emerged from this 14 billion year process of evolution and connects the whole thing. And what that does is it brings together science and spirituality into one narrative, which I find a really attractive idea. Well, it's definitely compelling, um, but it also seems to rely on a sort of a linear view of things unfolding in time, right? Uh, this time-space continuum. Um, uh, and, and, you know, since the the essence is timeless uh, and we are timeless and beyond that unfoldment thing at the same time, it's a great paradox is, um, you know, I, I, 
God, what it is to really So I just lost you there for a second. I don't know whether you can hear me, Paul, but I lost you as you were talking about oh. timelessness. And can you hear me? I can hear you now. <laughs> there we go. Yes. I went off into the timelessness. Um, uh, no, I was saying that, uh, you, that, that, you know, the essence is essentially timeless. Um, well, not I, dependent I, I, here's, what I, here's what I would like. Can you hear me it okay just, if I respond to that? Yeah, please. Please respond. So, so I, I want to say... I have never experienced anything which wasn't in time. I have experienced feelings of timelessness, deep meditations, which seem timeless, but I've come out of them afterwards and went, wow, I experienced the timeless for about 20 minutes then. It seems to me that this process, everything we experience has this one thing after another, one thing after another, one thing after another. The, the, the ground of being, the formless, the timeless, it's timeless because it has no form. It can't change because there's nothing to change. It has no qualities. As soon as you have qualities, you have change. So I, I think there's a confusion at the heart of mystical philosophy. It's where it needs to be updated. You know, this is where a lot of these philosophies are very, very old, and we need to move them on because I'm not sure that's right. It feels like, look, no, every time is it. Like I'm with Heraclitus on this one, you know, that, the, the, or, or if you don't like the word time, then a process. Look, just look in front of you right now. Every moment is process. Everything is unfolding in this one thing after another after another. And if, if anything, if it was timeless, you know, nothing would make sense. There would be no narrative. These words would not make any sense because you wouldn't be able to know what the beginning of the sentence was. Everything requires this process of change. And we never, ever see something which doesn't change. We can become conscious of the emptiness for a bit, but we are in time when we do that. So that, again, we discover the timeless in, to the degree that we do through time. And that feels really important to me. But it seems like we might be in, uh, lost in a, in a cage of relativity here in, in, in this worldview, right? I, well, I don't think we're lost in it. I don't think we're lost. Or well, confined I mean, we might be lost some it. of the time. I think what we have is that the, the phrase that you liked earlier, Paul, I'm going to go with, this is the one in relationship with itself. So that's relativity. Right. That's duality. Everything is, in, everything is relationship. Space is relationship. Time is relationship. Energy is relationship, actually. Uh, everything which has qualities is about the relationship of the one with itself. Everything. So what, we've, what, what existence is, is this evolving relationship. And we're not, we're not, it's not like a, ter a terrible place which we've got lost in. It's a, um, it is the, it is the actual fabric of reality. It's what we've experienced every day of our lives. We never experience I, anything I guess, else. I guess what I'm saying then is that, you know, the, the time, the time is in relationship with the timeless, but the timeless is not a, uh, creation of time. It, it is something in and of itself um, that's not dependent upon or, or you know, um, diminished by the process. Um, and and that, that didn't just arise out of a, an evolutionary, uh, you know, wonderful uh, explosion of understanding or, or creativity. It, it was self-existent in some form, in some way. So that's the thing I'm d disagreeing with. That's right, what you would have heard me saying a few years ago, and it, it no longer works for me. The more I've, 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 the more I've pushed it, the more I've doubted it, the more it just does, doesn't make any sense to me anymore. Because right. that's where you're putting God at the beginning again. That's where you're going. Oh, there's the mystery at the beginning. That's the mythic mindset. Well, if, if we it's want timeless, there's the mythic, no beginning. There, then, you know. say again. If the, if it's timeless, there is no beginning as such. We you know we we can posit a beginning in the middle and end. Sure, really good point, good point. But nevertheless, it is for us. It, it is for us there. If it's timeless, it's it's it's. Uh, this is arising from that. I think you were uh, getting at. Were you not? That that is that. There's something which is. If something is timeless, it doesn't change. So, what qualities does it have? What qualities does it have that you can make sense of? 
this timeless I think thing. It, the, high, the higher levels of, you know, um, mystical appreciation, you understand, I mean, not that I've been there a lot, but uh, you, you understand that it, we don't have to see it in the same way that our discursive mind sees it, right? That there, there are dimensions of understanding that seem to confound, uh, you know, philosophy, if you like. Um, I, I was yeah, thinking about the book. Yeah, go ahead. It's kind of, I kind of, I kind of, yeah, I can, yeah, you know, I, I, I've, I mean, I've been lucky enough to spend quite a bit of time exploring these, those, those things in my own sweet way. Right. And I know what that means. Actually, it's true of everything. You know, we can, we can only talk about things, we, experiences we share. If we share experiences, we can talk about them. And the mystics do talk about them all the time. It's just they can only be understood by people who share the experience. You know, if you, the classic example from Hinduism, I'm sure you know, is, you know, how would you explain explain the taste of a mango to someone who'd never tasted sweet? But as soon as you've tasted sweet, you can go, well, it's like that. It's sweet. And so these states aren't they are accessible to us to communicate about. And whilst there is a profound sense where you connect with the if you connect with the formlessness of being, which is the, the thing which makes everything one, then there is a profound sense of timelessness because it has no qualities to change. But you, as a human being, having a perspective on that, you have grown and matured and practiced, and you're, you're the one sitting in meditation, say, there will be, you are in time. So through time, we can touch the timeless. But the timeless, it feels like it really has no qualities. It's the, it's the ground quality from which all of the qualities which are time has arisen. And what we need to guard against is turning that into something which pre-exists and has lots of other qualities, which only make sense in terms of time. Well, but you self-contradicted there because you said it's that <laughs> timeless that out of which this arises, right? So it, it obviously has, has a certain reality beyond the, the process. You know, I mean, yeah. I'm, I don't want to argue the toss about it because I think it's fascinating. No, no, it's fascinating because this is really hard stuff to think about. And it's to, a big shift. You know, I, you know, it really is. So, so when I'm when I'm talking about that, I'm saying, look, there, when I look at this moment now, the simple quality that everything has is existing, is being. That's the simplest quality I can imagine. So, if everything is one evolutionary process in which things build on each other, everything is that time stream, then the ground needs to be the simplest quality possible, and that I would describe as the quality of being. And then it's developed, it's taken on. It's not like being left behind. It's taken on all of these other qualities through this process. And, yeah, and like, I, can, I can say that, you know. So, so that quality, different, different you could say it, it doesn't is, exist in itself, but if it were, it would be timeless. But it doesn't exist in itself. It only exists in the process of time. But it right. itself has no qualities, so it's nothing to change. Right. And I, I, I can understand that and agree with that. Um, <laughs> because, you know, they're, they're, rarified, yeah. these are rarefied questions we've yeah. got into now. And, and OK, well, let's let's move to something more practical um, yeah. for our listeners, because they may think, my goodness, they're going into high, like you said, high, high pollutant talk here. Um, my <laughs> second point was, you know, we can be discussing all these things forever. And I know many people who have a sincere desire to follow the spiritual path you know, still lost in conceptual knowledge, right, as opposed to direct knowing or awakening. So um, give us some uh, ways to, to short circuit that. So, so we're not endlessly yeah. going around in our heads, but we're actually moving into embodiment. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Very important. I think one of the key things to start off with is to understand that what is the nature of conceptual thinking. I think it's fantastic conceptual thinking. It's amazing we can do it. It's to be loved. But what you're doing is is like to use an analogy. It's like you're creating maps and and to navigate this strange business we're in. And the better your map, the better you can navigate it and the clearer you can think, the deeper your experience can become. It's very, very helpful to understand things. But you know, the map is not the terrain. It's like the menu's not the meal. You don't want to sit and eat the menu. It'll taste of cardboard. So the whole purpose of the understanding is to deepen your actual experience. And I think there's lots of ways of doing that. And the two ways that I have been exploring for the last 20 years with people all over the world, really, which is a real privilege, are now online. Now I do a lot of, I'm just about to do another online seminar, actually, which is great because you've literally got people all over the world. And one of the things I like to get people to do 
One is just to meditate on the oneness, which you can, you know, I, I, I think I've become quite good at guiding people to because it's become a, it's spent my life exploring it. But the other thing is to get people to connect. So about 20 years ago, I guess now I started, I fell into experimenting with, with first with gazing and then other forms of connection, which are taking off now. They seem to be everywhere, which is wonderful. And, and, and I love it, you know, even online, like these online retreats, I'll get people literally all over the world for the first time in, in history, people from all over the world can gaze together online. Isn't that amazing? And what you, what I, what I invite people to do is just to look at each other and go, that's interesting because what I'm connecting with, I see a face. Well, literally, actually, I see pixels on a screen representing a face if I'm doing it online or if I'm in person, a face. But what I'm connecting to is really the psyche or the soul. So the face is beautiful, and then there's the psyche and the soul, and you can't see it. And you realize that we're connecting, like we're doing it right now. We're connecting on this uh, non-material level because all these ideas which I'm shooting across through the electronics to you on the other side of the world is being picked up. It's coming from my psyche. It's, it's immaterial ideas, and they're arising now in yours and anyone who's listening to this. It's arising in those psyches. So we're connecting. And if you go into that connection deeply, there's this extraordinary oneness starts to open up. And then you can, and then you can transition into a direct experience of, oh, hang on, this is the one in relationship to itself. I am, and when I'm gazing with this person... I am the one looking at the one. And that is where these, this, this, what I call the deep awake state can just open up so beautifully, so profoundly. And the telltale sign of it is this, is this love, this connectivity, this benevolence. Yeah, and I, I particularly like that because I think this is so important right now in terms of the unfoldment of our planet, you know, is, again, we talked about tribalism earlier, which is based on differences, right? And and sometimes those can be wonderful. I grew up in Wales, and I'm proud of flying my Welsh flag occasionally, you know. But but that doesn't mean that I identify wholly as Welsh, you know. It's it's just a flavour, right? Um, yeah. And it's, it, we, yeah. we don't have to give up our uh, the the beneficial aspects of our tribe, if you like, if you know what I'm saying. But we can't be limited by it, right? Then we have to enter into a larger boundlessness, if you like, and benevolence and, and generosity are the, are the uh, qualities of that boundlessness, it seems, of that oneness. Beautifully put. I love that. Yeah, I think why I like the word individual that I shared with you earlier, Paul, is, is because it, it, it has the word individual inside it. And our individuality is defined by all our differences, where we grew up, what a nature is, you know, what, where, what things we're interested in, who, who our families, who we represent. So for me, the, we, we need, that's all beautiful. That's the color of life. Who'd want to lose that? So what, it's not about losing anything. It's about adding something to it. And right. The thing which is being added to it is this universal benevolence. And, and the phrase which works for me when I think about how to live in the, from that place is universal benevolence and individual responsibility. So I feel that universal benevolence, which wants to reach out to everyone. It's, you know, the love your enemies thing. It's just love your, it's all encompassing, but I can't, I can't take on the world. I'm just Tim. I'm just this guy living in Somerset and Glastonbury. But what I can do is bring that into my relationships, which are my particular responsibility, my world, the places where I'm interacting with the one. And so the, 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 the universal benevolence doesn't overwhelm. And it doesn't replace those relationships. It actually deepens them and goes, okay, can I bring that into my life as it, as it actually is? That's my responsibility. You know, Jesus gave some good advice to his disciples and therefore to us, you know, about that. He says, uh, be wise as serpents and innocent as, as doves. And I think it, yeah. it's another way of saying what you just said, you know, be be innocent, open, benevolent, but also be nobody's fool, right? Be wise as a serpent, you know. Otherwise, you give away your power uh, and you can be trodden on. But on the other hand, you don't want to be uh, distrustful of others. There's there's that uh, open-heartedness as well that's important. So when you can marry the two together, I think, you know, that that's a remarkable place to be. 
it's it's a beautiful example of what I call paralogical thinking, um, which is really about or both and thinking, seeing that we can right. the the, ob, the opposites complement often rather than contradict, and and that's a beautiful example of it where it's like no. Like, like, like the way that we can see that we're not one. It's not about being all one or an individual. It's about being both an individual who recognizes that all is one. And the same with the lovely line from the Gospels. It's like, yeah, don't, you know, we, that universal benevolence. I, 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 let's move to the word love for a second because that's a gospel word. That's, I love that word because it's, it's so central to the Christian message. And you know, people sometimes think, you know, all you need is love and it's a big, you know, like a big pink love. You know, everything's soft and gentle and kind. In my experience, it's not like that at all. The love is strong and tough and can go to the most deep places of suffering. That's where the love is at its strongest. This is this is a robust love. This is a, yes. a just as a parent, just an every day. You know, so many of us are parents. One of the things you learn, I think, very quickly as a parent is that, you can you can you, you can you have to you if you want to love you have to be ready to be tough and you have to be ready to be not liked and all sorts of things but in the end of the day there's you're doing it from love and uh, so I love that's it. the yeah. love we need yeah very good let me tell you about next week's show and then we'll have a final word from tim because it, it's interesting we're sort of piggybacking a little bit next week a professor of cognitive science at the University of California, Irvine, uh, who's got a PhD from MIT, D Donald Hoffman joins me. And he's going to talk about his book, The Case Against Reality, uh, <laughs> Why Evolution Hid the Truth from Everyone's Eye, from Our Eyes. Well, an interesting book. Um, I think we'll look forward to that. But right now we have about a minute left uh, for Tim to impart wisdom for our yearning souls as we go into the week. What encouragement can you give us? You've already given us a lot, but is there well, something particular that's on your heart today? Yeah, you know, I'll come back to this because, you know, we talked some deep philosophy in the middle. We got into, you know, God at the beginning or at the end. We got into being versus consciousness, all these things. And I think they're important because they change how we see things. But also, you know, my latest book, Soul Story, I make a little confession. It's quite a philosophical book. Um, I hopefully very accessible, but but philosophical. And in the in the middle, I kind of make this confession, which I'll make now to you, which is that all of that really is trying to is trying to hold up some very simple, almost naive or childlike intuitions that arise in that deep awake state. That as you go into that. The intuitions are so childlike, I feel like I, I need to ground it in some real intellectual heavyweight ideas in order for it to have the gravitas that it has and not just sound like whimsical nonsense. But the, they're actually the deepest things I know. So I'll say the deepest things I know because I think I can say them now without them sounding too uh, like, I, like they have no – I'll just say them. This is for me that when I enter that deep awake state, the deepest intuition is that fundamentally, despite everything, life is good and that, that death is safe and that what really matters is love. And that's it, folks. We're at the end of the show. What a great day to end. Remember those simple, profound words. Thanks to Tim. Thanks for listening. And join us next week. Take care now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash IMDivine2022. 